This is the end of the world. Only remnants of what once was lie drifting in a sea of nothingness. Are we the children of the survivors, destined to claw civilization back from the brink, or merely the next generation of penitents in a cosmic afterlife without end? Hey, Khan! It is one man's noble calling to crawl his way across this broken reality and tell the masses what he has learned on his brave journey. A beacon of truth in the dark, confusing tapestry of life and death. Khan! But yea, how the noble must struggle. For the belly of my trusting vessel is down to its last width of Ergon. The nearest port is three widths away, and I'm at the end of mine. The hounds are baying for blood, and I come to you now with what may well be our final transmission. Hey, Conrad! Dex, how many times do I have to tell you not to interrupt me while I'm on a roll? We're live for maybe the last time ever before this piece of junk aether wagon goes tits up and I'm handcrafting a touch of valedictory while you're barking in my ear like some kind of nodish lapdog. Well, go on then, chuckle not spit it out. What was so important? I'm picking up some live communications from the League headquarters. And? And you told me to let you know when I picked up live communication from the League headquarters. You told me this signal catcher would be our ticket to fame. Well, it's time. Oh, touche, little guy. All right, what do you got for me? Looks like they're putting together a new team. Total unknowns across the board. A new team? I haven't seen one of those since... Since that novice crew crashed a schooner into that Duke's castle. <laughs> ah, yes. The Duke's messy surprise. Well, what are you waiting for? Let's cook, baby! I need a bit more to go on, Dex. I can't brew a stew with table scraps. Sure you can. You're listening to Con and Dex on 197.2. Pirate Radio. News from the void you can't avoid. This is Reality Checks with Con and Dex. And we've got a tasty little tidbit coming in hot from the headquarters of the League of Ultimate Questing. The courageous corsairs and dastardly bastards who've cornered the market and exploring the Uncharted. Word on the wind is they're putting together a team of fresh-faced newbies. And what's more, they're all independents. A grab bag of brave nobodies, untouched by the corruption and coercion of crusty commodores and conniving conmen that make up the powers that be. Sounds like a recipe for a group burial, if you ask me. Who'd be crazy enough to hitch wagons with strangers when your life's on the line? With seven out of ten new crews suffering a cosmic prostate exam from the withered finger of Dr. Fate, it's easy to point your own button kisses and laugh. But these foolhardy daydreamers are out there shaping out tomorrows. Say what you will about the all-feather, no-hat fat cats lapping up the cream of our collective crop at the tippy-top. But the privateers of the League explore the unexplored to bring new islands into the fold. Every landmass is a new hope for trade, technology, and tales of wonder. Trust me, Khan, some of those unexplored islands aren't all they're cracked up to be. Some are real hellholes. Nothing ventured, Dex. Therein lies the bravery that defines the genre. These thrill-seekers will stop at nothing for a taste of immortality. And I promise you truth-seekers at home, we got our eye on this enterprising new ensemble. We'll bring you every slice of sleazy scuttlebutt that hits our net. We'll also be bringing you one hour of uninterrupted modern music. So stay tuned for your midday noise void. This week featuring Infernal Blood Jazz with Dretch Williams and the Torture Tones. Call the doctor, there's blood in my jazz. Until then, keep one eye on the firmament and one down in the void. The truth will reveal itself.
This is Conrad Wisely. And Meg Dex the Insufferable. <laughs> This is what it's all about. This is what it means to be a radio pirate. The truth is our flag. And mystery, our open waters. But alas, we are at a crossroads. For despite how promising and full of life this path of adventurous updates may be, we remain adrift. Engines starved, no hope of touching foot on solid land ever again. This rusty old beast may serve as both coffin and riverboat to the land of the dead. Hey, Khan! To die like this is surely to leave behind the destiny unfulfilled. The tragedy of two daring souls leaving society in their wake, selling all earthly possessions to acquire this staggering radio chariot, born to mount the void in the pursuit of the truth, only to die another speck in an endless sea of shards. Conrad! Would we be remembered for our noble work? Did we even touch enough hearts before our candle was snuffed? Was it all for nothing? Conrad! Dex, come on. Must you harpoon the ether shark of my heart at every poetic turn? The numbers, they're up. Way up. As soon as we started going off about that new team, everyone was listening. Wait, really? Holy shit. And that's not all. We've earned the respect of our peers and parents. We got a new ad read. Fifteen Aegon paid up front to mention Little Beard's newborn dwarven diapers twice a day for a week. Bless those bearded babies and their dirty little bearded butts. You know what this means, Khan? We're going to port. Refuel, rebuild, and be amongst the people. And I'm ordering a pizza! In an unassuming, spotless underground room, complete with zero decoration, save for a large metal table with two chairs on one side and one on the other, an arcane bulb hums overhead, casting a kind of interrogating light, which reflects in the mirror taking up one entire wall. There are two men, dressed professionally on one side of the table, one organizing paperwork and cleaning his spectacles, the other leaning back in his chair and cleaning his fingernails, with a dagger that looks like it may be enchanted. The door opens as someone enters to sit in the empty chair, nervously, and there's a moment of silence. Daralu Naranan-Avahan? Psych, you already know me. Native of the island of Inniscard? Aye. Bard, archer, prospective captain of an as-yet-unnamed Nidrasili vessel? Uh, bad flather, but yes. Not captain. Right. Uh, for the League, you will be using the term captain. I guess I can learn to love that. You can call it whatever you want on your ship, once you have one. All right, all right. Sounds reasonable enough. A grin, pulling gently at the corner of his mouth and shaggy ashen blonde hair pushed from his eyes. The young and eager tiefling seems to be drumming his <sighs> sharp nails on his leg. Please stop. Oh, bad habit. He dresses in warrior's leathers, clearly meant for someone slightly taller and more muscular than he. And his clothes underneath are rustic and cast in earthen tones of green and brown. Purple-gray of his skin stands in playful contrast to the rest of him, and only serves to make his youthful face, which struggles to grow what little beard it has, look only more so. The horns, 
from which his clan takes a considerable amount of fame, are large and ridged, sweeping back along his head and turned skyward at their ends. The underside of them, however, plays host to blue crystals that grow outward from their cores. You feeling at a dossier or you writing a poem? Not everybody uses language like a truncheon. Hey, now. I'm not sure whether to be welcome or insulted. Sorry, we are required to record all audio descriptions as best we can. Aye, but are you, you know, are you going to editorialize them the whole time? I've got to find my joy somewhere. Fair. So, tell us, what exactly brought you here? In a gray, rocky valley on a gray, rocky coastline sits the village of Ahan. Far off at the end of the valley, a small home saved for the elder's family bustles with small amounts of life and motion. The family inside prepares for a remembrance, having already gone through their stages of grief, or at least those that they show on the outside. A mother and her six children share duties of carving horns out of stone, because those these horns are meant to remember never made it back from their raids. You, uh, think they're good enough, Ma? Nothing's ever good enough for me, and you'll know that. <sighs> Fair. But, uh, do you think, do you think people will know to remember them at the feet of the Elder? It's not about the horn, son. Whether or not they're remembered is going to be based on what they've done. And you'd do well to remember that. True. It's been a hard year. Every year's harder. <sighs> but years prior, I didn't have to wake up thinking they might come back. Don't delude yourself into thinking that they won't. Aye. They're here. Darlu points a finger at his heart. And here. Points a finger between his horns. Uh, just quick issue, though. Dad's armor does not fit me well. He'll grow into it. I'm 19. How much more growing do I have to do? If I and my cooking have something to say about it, plenty. <laughs> Will your cooking travel well on the ship? I was raised in a hold. All of my cooking will keep for weeks. That is, if you take care of it. I'll do my best. Tell to you taught me a lot, but not quite how to make a stew. Proper cook's more important than a proper fighter on a ship. Besides, adventuring's no time for stew. They take time. Aye, aye. And I have plenty more things to set and forget. Well, Clifftops ain't going to wait for me any longer. <sighs> you, the weans, I'll thank you often. I'll miss you. Every single day. I'll do my best to forget you, lest the pangs hurt too bad. Aye. Aye. And, with a hug and a little kiss on each of their heads, Darulu Naranen sets out from his home for perhaps the last time. Walking down a long stretch of mostly empty road, the elder's family's home sits a considerable distance from the rest of the village. And for a while walking... Darlu reaches what could be called the center of town, where one small dirt road dead ends into another. Ahan is not a metropolis. Standing there, leaning hard on crutches, his horns dripping smoke from their ends, is one of the thanes of Ahan, a man by the name of Faldron. Is it true you'll be gone from us soon? Yes, Thane Faldron. Today I'm to take the Scarlet, Get the hell out of here. I'm sure you'll be dancing on the dock once I'm gone. 
The thought of your absence does put a smile on my face, but the thought of you tarnishing the sacred skies sends a chill down my spine. What am I supposed to do? I owe this to Ahan. I owe this to everyone here. You're a smoke ring amongst mighty plumes, young one. You never learned humility. You never learned honor. You play at it like it's in a book for you to reenact. But you do not know the flavor of it, nor the true smoke and ash of the horn. So that's really what you think? That's what you've been holding on to the whole time I've been here. He reaches out and grabs onto your horns to look you close in the eyes. A leader's not for thinking, a leader's for knowing, and I know what I see. Then Feldrin, Thane, if you so can be called, now that you're no longer on a ship, why the hell did you take now to try to teach me? Not all the time you've had landlocked here. I gave up on teaching you a long time ago, but if I can impart one last lesson before I'm rid of you, then I will. Did you bring a dagger? He searches his belt, for a moment thinking he forgot it, and finally clutching onto the handle of it and drawing it out. If your legacy's awash with failure, then shed the blood of a foe worthy of your own hand. Yourself. When I come back, my saga will be so grand you'll fucking weep. Putting the dagger back and trying to wrench out of the grasp of Thane Faldren, Darlu turns his back as quickly as he can to not show the big man the tears welling up in his eyes. Running from Faldren and heading up a tight carved switchback staircase, going on top of a cliff overlooking the village, Darlu arrives at Elder Ahan. This ancient tiefling has sat on this throne of stone for so long and smoked out of his sacred pipe that the crystals grown across his body have fused into the chair and into himself, creating a statue that may be living or may have died a long, long time ago. Rings and curls of airy gray still dance out of the long pipe clutched between its teeth. Sat at its feet, around the rocks, around the ancient stones, Around the memorials to his people sit carved and severed horns of heroes fallen. The young tiefling kneels in front of the elder and places the carved facsimile of the horns of his father and grandfather at its feet. Elder Ahan, it's our wish, it's our request, that you take the horns of your son and his son's son and dream of what they knew. Dream of the things they wish to protect this world against. Dream of their heroics. Dream of their actions. Forget their faults. Forget what they could not do. And know that when they gave themselves, they gave themselves for the names and faces of everyone here. Elder Ahan, this sucks. Elder Ahan, this is the fucking worst. It's been a year. It's been a year and I'm still not over it. How am I expected to, to do any of this? I'm supposed to go find to tell to you. I'm supposed to take a ship into a sea that I've barely learned how to sail. I, I don't have the confidence of the people who call this home. I don't have their well wishes. I don't have their hopes. Sure, Ma and, and my, my siblings, my brothers and sisters, they think fine of me, but, but how am I to know anyone else does? What the fuck am I supposed to do? With these concerns prayed toward the elder this ancient stone figure moves for the first time in anyone's living memory with a hand dropping down from its position and pointing 
and an old curled horn at its feet. Darlu understands the gesture. Darlu understands the symbolism of it and reaches down to pick up a carved war horn. Orgrier's horn. This song of battle. Orgrier's horn from the sagas. A pipe. An instrument. A warning. A threat. A promise. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you, Elder. <laughs> he know exactly what to do with this. Taking this relic and sticking it under his arm, Darlu practically flies back down to the dock, waving the warhorn in front of the Thane's face, skidding across the planks and stopping dead in his tracks across the ship that once belonged to his mentor's fleet, changed by the magics of Nydrasil. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Might take it away from home. I promise to these dirts, these stones, and the dark trees that grow beyond, that I will be worthy of this honor. That I will rise from Badflatha to Thane to Elder. I know how my saga is writ. And this, this is its opening line. Darlu boards the ship to his future. Hello. Giginigigilinging. Is that a name or are you warming up? Damn. It's called professionalism, kill count. Did he say that right? As right as he possibly could without having his membrane explode. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say membrane. The skin of your mouth was not meant for small implosions of air. But for everyone's sake, you may call me Gigil. Gigil. Understood. Damn, that's a sight easier. Gigil. I like it. Alias Gigil, formed on the island of Tabiasedu, astral monk. Amoeboid in humanoid form with shocking definition and detail. The soft, youthful facial contours are accentuated with crushed pigments. Fascinating. Of particular note are the mustard yellow eyes and their magenta irises, a sharp contrast to the cooler tones of the body. Sage-green cytoplasm poured into a slim, speckled turquoise membrane. Wraps encased the midsection, minimal adornment. Interred within, as if to accompany the white, pearlescent nuclei, are artifacts of personal significance. Within the chest, a row of small ledgers, bookended by stone statuary. Beavers, I believe? In your language, I believe so. In the abdomen, obscured by... Obscured somewhat by the wraps is a drinking horn in the shape of a lightning bolt. And uh, the left leg contains a gray and charcoal beaded necklace, beads roughly six centimeters in diameter. And the right foot, a calligraphy brush with a roll-marked glass handle. And the left forearm contains a ribbon strung through three ergon coins, one wit, one zeal, one ardor. And the right hand, the fossil of a... Some manner of cephalopod wrapped in a wrapped around a fern? Wow. Fossilized records of cephalopods are exceedingly rare. And as to how it formed around a land plant, I I can't even Is guy an adventurer or a junk drawer? You paint me well. And you treat me as a friend. Sorry, I got a little distracted. So, what exactly brought you here? On either side of a verdant hill. Two plasmoids walk up steps that have been carved, worn, and carved over and over again. 
What an oible. How did diplomacy with these far travelers go? As poorly as you would expect. They cowered down to every request, caved in at every opportunity. They are every bit the coward we believe them to be. To give tribute to such venal creatures is an insult. If they are such venal creatures, can we offer no resistance? Ours is the only sect which believes in resistance. We remain practiced in the violent arts, true. Acquiescence is in their souls. But alas, in truth, we have little choice. If they so choose, they can wait until the molten season. Come when we hibernate and take what they want by force, with no resistance. They should be commended for approaching us for diplomacy, but they should be resisted with everything we have. Then everything has changed. You are one of my brightest pupils. You must prepare yourself for debate. Spend some time in meditation, contemplating our solutions. Perhaps we can approach our hibernation period in shifts, change the way we view the seasons, and imagine a future we do not yet know. Warden, I invoke my right of migration. You would do this now? Seek spiritual mitosis when I am most in need of solidarity? But you are entitled to your spiritual awakening. Take what time you must to formulate your own sect. I will be here if you need me. Warden, I seek not to start a new sect. I aim to join these travelers. There is much to learn. If I'm wrong, one small tendril of our world will wither. But if I'm right, we will absorb them. Uh, I believe you are Litabug of Midden. Garbage heap? Uh, yeah, is this the right place? Do you not take offense at garbage heap? Oh, not at all. Garbage is, is great. You know when you call someone a garbage person? Most people I know are not as good as garbage. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Very well. Litabug of Midden, Goblinoid, Artificer, specializing in armor and deployable equipment. Uh, that's me. <sighs> Goblinoid, one of the dreamt. A pair of dark lenses affixed to a leather band with reclaimed rivets holds back a shock of mousy brown hair. A small snub nose rests above a crooked and snaggletooth smirk. Thanks for noticing. And a pointed chin. Her, her? Uh, yeah, yeah. Her skin is the color of sage, save for the pink hues of her palms, eyelids, lips, and the thin, membranous flaps of her large, bat-like ears. Her body is thin, bony, almost bird-like. Notches and scars pepper her face and frame. The only thing she has more of than scars is pockets. Cropped, sleeveless overalls, oil-stained and reinforced with scrap iron. So, tell us. What exactly brought you here? In a nearby corner of ether space, nestled among twinkling stars and virulent gas clouds, is a cosmic landfill known as the Midden. 
once a dumping ground for the core islands, it eventually grew large enough to develop its own gravitational pull. Sprinting through the junk wastes is a small goblin with mousy brown hair, accompanied by a tiny winged construct scrapped together from mismatched parts, a madron. Out of breath, her path takes her to another goblin, standing near an open hatch leading down into the planetoid. In contrast to Letta, his body is covered in thick, corded muscle, bulging from the open seams of mismatched leathers covered in spikes and chains. His face, covered in goblin war paint, houses a cruel expression, and above protruding canines and flat nostrils, his eyes burn orange like embers. <sighs> Great, I made it on time. I'm here to join the raid. Frag me that needs you, bag. Go home. Come on, Gregory. I gotta earn some coin. You destroyed a reaver ship with whatever that thing was you crashed into it. That's not good. Uh, yeah, Greg. Uh, Skinner. Skinner, yeah. Th that's why I need the shares, right? Because, uh, it... it ain't happening, bug. Your luck's run out. Nobody wants to ride with you no more. Not after that stunt. You're cursed. But, you know, I, I gotta pay it back. Not or... my problem. But I... Goodbye, bug. The goblin raider descends the nearby tunnel and seals the hatch. Soon, large hangar doors open in the crust of the planet, and an ether ship emerges. A titan of iron and rust with a prow shaped like a cleaver, lined with harpoons and howling goblins, belches fire and ascends the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> Down below, Lydda's face is contorted in shame and rage but the dust and ergon soot from the ether ship's departure thankfully hides her tears. Uh, Miss Bag, what brought you here? Huh? Oh, yeah, y you know, Arter, Coin, Moolah. That's what I need, and I'll do anything to get it. Want a, want an inside look at how goblins do their business? Well, tune in, folks, because I'm ready to do my business all over the LUQ. Do your business? What the hell do you think we do here anyway? And uh, you should understand, Miss Bag, this is not a this is not a platform on which for you to aggrandize yourself. But but rest assured, you will make coin. And plenty of it. Foe Kithkin, you're late. Sorry, Steele. Has something to take care of. Human, if he can indeed be called that anymore. On behalf of the Kith, the nomadic people of Nod, he serves the role of Sin Eater. A sorceress egomancer. Merely a single step removed from a lich. Hey now, that's a rough word. Don't go throwing it around. This man of motley is a tattered remnant of humanity. One eye that of a goat. Both pale gold. One deformed pointed ear, the other heavily notched. A single tusk appears to perpetually scrape open scabrous lips. His crooked nose furls like that of a beaten cur. Numerous bloody broken horns protrude from his thinning brindle hair. One skeletal foot, one rotting arm that smells like black licorice and mushroom. The other bound in a shackle with no key. He wears shredded peasant garb to cover a body long since used up by a life of sin. The only clothing of note, the yellow high-collared cloak of the Sin Eater. This cat fall off the back of a sick wagon or what? You could say that. I'm not going to bother asking 
what brought you here. I already know. Now, the Aether life ain't for everyone. We all dream of home. But what's home to you? What brings you back to shore? That one's easy. Knowing that my saga needs to be shared with my people to protect them, and I'm the only one to tell it. Home is just as much the warmth of the hearth as it is the eyes of those you swore to keep safe. And the ship, the ship is where you write songs and tales. Home is where you go back to sing and tell them. While there is much to learn in the outside worlds, what will bring me home is when I need to be replenished. When I must make myself anew. Well, it's like they say. Home isn't a place, Kill Count. It's people. And that's what keeps me going. No matter how tough things get, I just clear my mind and think of all the people waiting for me to die. And I get so freaking pissed! (laughs) I'm not going to give those empty-headed, flat-toothed, trash-humping gobnobblers the satisfaction of reading my goddamned obituary. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm going to strike it rich and rub it all over their dumb faces. (laughs) Gobnobblers, I like that. At first, I was worried you weren't being genuine, but uh, that changed quickly. Oh, me? Well, home changes. Everything changes. Can't be brought back to something that doesn't exist anymore. So don't worry about me. If I need to be back on shore, I'll find a way to make myself feel at home. Now, every two-bit hero thinks he can handle a troll, a knoll, or a dire mole. But when you wake up to a ringing bell... Black shale driven by a dozen pirates who'd rather have a payday than a knife in the gut. How do you get your crew back home? You show those pirates that your desire is deeper than theirs. Your boldest foot forward. Now, that foot might be an arrow, an insult, or amends. But no matter what, you better want what lies beyond them more than they want your blood or coin. Well, if you put it that way. If they don't want a knife in the gut, we threaten them with a knife in the gut. (laughs) I feel the question is quite easy. Ha! Pirates? You think I'm afraid of pirates? I'm from the goddamned Midden. Pirates don't go near our ships, and for good reason. They can smell the crazy. (laughs) And that boom-boom powder, they can smell that too. And, and maybe the piss. In fact, probably the piss and maybe the garbage, but, but definitely the crazy. Look, when you're wandering through the dream, you do what you gotta do. If you see pirates, you do what you gotta do. But the problem is, if you're waking up to the bell, waking up to the flag, you've already made your first mistake. You've let them think you're something to be fucked with. Now you're here to be part of a crew. And once you're in, we expect you to be in for the long haul. But everyone's got a tipping point. What will make you jump ship? My story is written. My story is woven from start to end, and I know it to my bones. If I'm steered away from what's meant for me through action or word, then I'm off and away to where I can get it back on track. Where I am meant to be. A good crew will always be part of what's remembered of you. So it's their job to keep up with me. 
I will be here for what you call the long haul. If I had my way, this would be a generational journey. I wish to learn more about everything out there. And the only thing that will stop me on this journey is if somewhere out there, there is an answer of what I should be. I don't think I will find this. And so, I do not see myself jumping ship. Look, I'll be honest. I've seen your flappy sky sleds and I've built better ships out of trash. But keep me on board and I'll keep her purring like a grimalkin at a milk bar. <laughs> but I do have boundaries and just because I'm a goblin doesn't mean I don't practice elf care. <laughs> Decline payment for a job, I'm out. Cut me out of my share, I'm out. Get overly sentimental, I'm out. Don't wash your asshole when you shower, out. Look, it's, <laughs> buckle up, it's a long list. See, I can already tell this one's not gonna believe me when I say I'm in it. But as long as I got a pocket of full, a sip of kitty every once in a while, and a couple of good deaths at my side, I got no reason to take a sirens over the edge. Now, if you don't mind, no worthy, I'm gonna throw one last little question at the end of this to spice things up. Tell me, what keeps a ship in the sky? Lungs full of air, heart full of purpose, and everyone knowing what they're supposed to do aboard. Simple as that. Throwing away unnecessary cargo. The core. The collective delusion that we're not already fallen. In the morning, you will set sail for the continent of Nidrasil to earn your primordial core. This will be your only chance to join the League. Your only chance to show us what you're made of. We wish you luck. Ugh. You are never going to sell that catchphrase. You tested well in the focus groups. You all return to your temporary quarters in preparation for the very first quest the League has given you. To seek the primordial core that will power your ship for your adventures to come. So what do you think of this new crop? They have a diverse skill set. Scored well on the Arneson Index, and their personality profile suggested dynamic, if not necessarily compatible, crew. Sure, yeah. Numbers, pie charts. But do you think they have what it takes? Does anyone? Was it a punishment? When the great light came from the sky and pierced the land like an arrow. But who is left to punish us? Was our hubris too great when we gave life to the new guardians? Perhaps it was beyond us to breathe ambition and purpose into the land like the four sowers of the past. We have since learned it is not a perfect exchange. Ever since the Banished One was sent to the east, beyond the hills, we told him there was a job to do. But the truth was, we had no place for him. A lie that will haunt us for years to come. A lie that may have summoned the light from the sky, for it too was cast to the east. It is in his domain now.
Avast, all you cuties. Here there be mid-rolls. Law might have already done that one. Whatever. Welcome to the League of Ultimate Questing Season 3 Shattered World. I hope you're enjoying things so far. It's a big change, but we're confident you're going to love it. I'm a level with you. This has been a mess. Our basket of eggs is broken. The weasels popped and our ducks are higgledy-piggledy all over the shop. So, let me give you some assurances. First, to our beloved Patreon supporters, with Battle Axis over, the associated Patreon stuff is also being decommissioned. But your status is still completely legitimate, and we will attend to that as soon as we can. Right now we're playing with some details, but for this season, $25 subscribers can give us a crew member name to include as members of the in-world ships, or a personal name if you just want to be mentioned here in the mid-roll. With the holiday season here, it's the ideal time to support the show. And with the new season premiering, it's the perfect time to get your friends listening. Come on down. Get started on Season 3. We're still very small and very stupid, so we can always use your help getting our sea legs. If I sound a little tired, it's because I just got back from my honeymoon in Japan with Bree, the map maker. A honeymoon that wouldn't have been possible without all the help that we got from you guys. So, I, I can't express my thanks enough. I'm going to try and keep these mid-rolls short and sweet going forward, so without further delay, let's set sail. We'll work on that. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. All right, me bubbies, flying the dish masher, tourniquet the slip and slide, keep foamy the bigulent shaft crisper on the double now. Excuse me, what the heck does that mean? That was just a bunch of nonsense. Let's face it. You found yourself in the position of an Aether ship captain, and you don't know ship lingo to save your life. Well, don't make a fool of yourself. It's time to start with Captain's Hooked on Yonics. Entry-level nautical jargon lessons. Master your rigging terminology. Learn the names of over 19 knots, 11 of which are shanks. Master your bow and stern. Never accidentally order Starbird at the wine bar again, and avoid embarrassing poop deck accidents. Bring up the scuttlebutts and polish the furrocks and cat heads, you limey bunguses! Hooray! Now that made perfect sense. Don't flub like a scummy lover. Get Captain's Hooked on Yonics today! The air around you becomes thunder as the transport ship begins descent. Wood and iron moan in protest against the pounding ether waves colliding with the hull as you dip through layers of energy. The vast belly of the Nodite vessel seems to only amplify the horrific noises, and you sit as still as you can, back to the wall, along metal benches with nothing but a leather strap to keep you in place. This monster of a galleon carries many, a transport with many stops along its journey. But this detour is just for you. 
A pair of ship crewmen stand fighting the turbulence, white knuckles gripping firm steel rods on each side of the hatch. They're half-worker, half-armed guard, decorated in drab industrial Nodite uniforms, bearing faded heraldry on the shoulder, nearly worn away, denoting a lifetime of crew work. It feels almost like falling, but the huge space of the flying coffin you reside in distorts the movement, distorts the noises, and multiplies your nerves. Then, with an intense lurching thud, the vessel seems to stabilize. The fall turns into a drift. The lashing of aether waves is replaced with the howling of wind. There are no windows down here in the gut of the beast. The flickering lamps hardly lend to the visibility, and it suddenly gets quite warm. The sound of a tree snapping in half and an iron handshake releasing after a year-long test of strength flood the hull as blinding impossible daylight spills in. The hatch begins to crawl open. The crewmen hold tight as the wind fills the chamber, whipping against your skin and tossing your clothing in all directions. After a moment of blindness, your eyes focus from the burning white and yellow of daylight to the endless ocean of vibrant green that is revealed before you like a curtain of industry being pulled back onto a stage of verdant life. You're coming to a stop. The core hums like an old beast of burden laying to rest. The Nodite galleon lands with a boom that carries outward, kicking dust clouds into the air and sending thousands of birds flying in panic away from the monster of smoke and iron. Your travel bags are untied from netting and returned to you, and your straps are undone. You are ushered down a dark plank out the hatch, and onto a wide, flat plateau of stone, like an island. This rock face peeks out from a sea of green as far as you can see, the tops of trees, a forest unending, nature uninterrupted. A few distinguished mountains peek out along the horizon, like ribs rising from the chest of a hungry dog. The sun reflects off the leaves in every shade of jade and emerald. While there is so much to take in, so many truths to process, the glaring fact that there is nothing here burns at you. This is your drop spot? This beautiful desert? And a prison of thriving life? I gotta take the beans. Grab me a jester's. I haven't been on a castle like that in weeks. Ugh. What? I'm gonna take a walk. Have a cigarette? Right. Is that... Is that normal for you? Smoking? Lie. No. Everything you just said. <laughs> Take it you haven't spent much time around the kiff. Not in a way that involves a lot of talking. Fair enough. Speaking of which, uh, Gajel, right? Gajel. But I, I like the little bit of flavor you're putting onto it. Sure. I'm packed with flavor. Uh, your mouth is quite wonderful. Please don't talk about my mouth that way. Gidgel, can I ask you something, and I hope it's not rude? That declaration absolves you of any rudeness now. You're generous. How the hell do you talk? Where's your mouth? Can you not see my mouth? At which point, perhaps um, some of the pigments in his face have been misplaced, but they all begin to move around like <laughs> iron filaments being led by a magnetic field, all to distinguish the color differences at Gidgel's attempt at making the shape of lips. They're there, 
there's something just slightly off. They don't move quite as finely, and you can't see the little split, little chapping of lips. It's just a little too perfectly round. It's like he tried to sculpt Darylou's mouth out of wax. So we're mouth people here, huh? There's a lot you can do with mouths. Smoke? Talk? I'll fucking say. Be proper unsettling? Well, I can think of at least four worse kinds of people, so... Hmm. And and what's wrong with you? <laughs> what's that supposed to mean? Well... Darylou, you should have put a request to be absolved from your rudeness towards Lydda as well. Fuck, how could I forget? Uh, Lydda, right? Yes. Not to be rude, but the fuck is wrong with you? They wear theirs on their sleeve pretty loudly and proudly, and you almost look normal for you. You're treading pretty close there. I have a slightly different system. If I don't like what you ask, I'm going to bite you. You've been warned. Ah, so your uh, buckle's a few holes loose then? I would tell you, mate, if you haven't taken a gob's gob to your knob, you haven't been bit properly yet. So? Lydda gnashes her teeth menacingly. I think I'm done talking about mouths today. Let's move on to the task at hand, shall we? Where the fuck are we? There's nothing here. It's a vista. Oh, there's a lot here. There's air for starters. Mm, more than I'm used to. Foe lights a cigarette with his cigarette. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't discount things you can't see. You know, that's surprisingly wise. Don't discount Lydrasil. Every time you think there's nothing there, you realize you're standing in the middle of everything. There's a dragging of steel and iron. The Nodite crewmen salute you silently as they climb back up the planks and the hatch grinds and clicks to a close. The thunderous core roars back to life, and the giant ship that brought you here, to this unknown place, lifts up into the sky at an alarming rate, vanishing into a speck, and then disappearing in the distant, shimmering ether above the atmosphere. You ever seen a ship that big? Pretty standard fare when you're dealing with knob. You should know. Oh, all the ships are big back on the midden. Much bigger than that. Ours back at home tend to be slender and fast. Hmm. We don't have ships where I'm from. What a magnificent creation. Just stretch yourself out and act like the sail yourself, eh? That's better than my idea. The terrain is ever-changing. It's hard to depend on water, where there is hardly any. So, if that's the case, your terrain is ever-changing, maybe you're the best, you know, lookout, wayfinder, for where we're stuck right now. Are we stuck? As you look, the vista that you're atop descends immediately into the tree line. It is incredibly steep. Let let me get another eye on this. Hey, it's time to wake up. Lita withdraws a metallic orb from her pocket and taps it with her fingernail. Bits and bobs begin coming to life on the orb, revealing it to be something like a mechanical eye with a forward-facing aperture. Small arms extend from below and... From all around it, its golden surface separates into two large cicada-like wings, which begin flapping and holding it aloft in the air. The aperture buzzes as it opens and closes, focusing on everything in various distances in front of it. So that's how goblins hatch. Oh no. If you find a goblin egg, you'll know for sure. That's a drone, you cabbage. Everyone here is so literal. It's a unidrone, to be exact. Her name's Iris. Cute. Hey there, Iris. You're not going to bite me too, are you? Unidrones don't. 
They don't talk. Is there a smaller goblin inside of it? <laughs> you know what? I don't. Uh, I don't rightly know what's inside of it. It's a uh, something I found, put back together. What kind of command do you give your floating orb? Hey, Iris, uh, scout the nearby area. With a swift metallic flutter, it buzzes up <laughs> over the ledge and straight down into the tree line, out of sight. And it's gone for just a moment. And then at top speed, it returns in the other direction as though fleeing something for its life. Your journey here made you quite familiar with the sound of creaking wood. But a sound carries up from below, unlike any other you've heard before. This is the sound of the very forest moving. Thousands of branches bent without breaking. Leaves are thrown aside as they collide with everything in their path. Roots groan and bark crackles. A huge object rises up through the tree line, lurching at an impossibly slow speed as birds take to the air and creatures scatter down far below. A series of stone pillars glides across the surface of the verdant ocean like the fins of a shark, slowly rising up, gliding forward, ushered by near-silent impacts that shake the earth under your feet. The shape is coming right for you, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. But it stops itself, immediately adjacent to the plateau you stand upon. The stone pillars seem to sprout out of thick, dark grass with long, vibrant blades, and each is etched with runes like circles within circles, and they form a sacred round pattern. Figures who were sitting, their gray robes blending with the stone, stand to attention, moving with the fatigue of age and the weight of obligation. There are four in all, and now, as the two pieces of land connect as one, you see them for what they are. Each of them bears a ring of twisting branches around their neck, their dark gray robes fading to an earthen brown at the bottom, each cut and fitted slightly differently. One is tall and broad, skin the shade of stone ground mustard, with a big white beard pulled out into braids below the chops, short tusks protruding from his lower jaw. Another an old human, more bone than skin. Her eyes remain forever shut, the lids weighed down by round stones. The hair plucked from her crown save for a long braid right in the center. The next a short man, with powerful limbs and milky white skin, decorated with patches of coffee brown, highlighting his features and powerful eyes. His curled hair is pulled into a bun that is as large as his head and round like a trimmed hedge. One of his arms, at the elbow, has been lost, but replaced with a twisting mass of vines and warped wood, forming an organic moving hand of plant life that seems to be rooted into his upper arm. You have heard of this weaving before. The last, a tall woman with hair hanging down to the ground, obscuring her face save for the large hooked nose poking out through the pale mane like it was a curtain. Her skin is red like desert peppers her arms adorned with dermal piercings of bronze forming waterways from her shoulders to her wrists. The staff she carries is nearly a flagpole in its height. The tusked one steps forward to speak. Careful now, Tragic. The band's here. I am Bakima, the Singing Stone, and we are four chosen of the Order of the Woven Circle. We saw the Nodite ship enter our skies. Our sight 
that still makes our stomachs ache to this day. But we knew when we saw it, you were the ones we would be meeting. The ones sent by the Unifiers. The League. This is Telia of the Stonebound Site. Kamir, the Windblade, and Kirsha Bloodsinger. I am honored to be in your presence. People usually are. I'm kind of a big deal. You're up, Captain. Make it good. <clears throat> right, here goes nothing. It's our esteemed pleasure and privilege to be standing before those as refined and fine as you. We mean not to make your bellies tremble by our approach, but it seems that both of us made quite a show of coming to one another. Are you aware of the task we've been sent here to complete? Not in full, but there is one who knows most. And they are. Hmm. First, join us. He says, gesturing to the landmass that moved out from the trees to join this one. This is Polyphemus, he says, resting a hand on one of the stone pillars. The woven titan and walker of the wildlands and bearer of our village. We implore you to follow us to speak with Oak Song, who knows more truths of what you seek than the likes of we. But it will be our honor to escort you. Ah, Oak Song. What a treasure. If there's bugs and gardens in it, I'm in. I'm famished. Many thanks, Polyphemus. The four strangers lead you off your rocky island and onto the soft earthen landmass that houses the stone pillars. As you follow them, you see that it is a colossal creature you're upon, the very tip of whose head you now depart from. It has a long but thick neck that allows it to peer up over the mighty trees and just as easily dip back down below. Huge calcified growths like carved stone form stairs down its neck, leading you into the darkness of the forest below. The air rushes past you, and the motion of the neck gives you slight vertigo as you try to focus on the stairs in front of you, but these four, it seems like second nature to them. And the further down the neck you get, the more you can't help but marvel at Polyphemus's size. Clearly not a beast of flesh and blood, but an entity of moving earth, part forest, part mountain, and based on the craggy openings you start to spy as you get closer to the base, part cave. The treetops are now above you, as wave after wave of branch and vine fly past your view. A society unfolds under your feet, communal houses built into the organic foundations of the creature, standing gardens and tethers of vibrant produce, hanging and growing on countless surfaces. People hard at work cleaning, Harvesting, repairing, a mobile society, the perfect combination of nomadic life and community building. The people don't stop working, but they do make room for the four guardians that escort you. Eye contact is not found here. The work is silent. Your presence seems to not anger them or fill them with fear, but they are uneasy, doubtful. The largest cave opening overlooking the village resides at the top of another smaller set of stairs. That seems to be your destination. Down one flight, and then up another. The layout of this place is baffling, yet somehow efficient. When you come to the short stairs leading up to the cave, the four guiding you stop and turn to face the city. 
They move so that two are on each side of the steps, flanking your approach, but seeming to be directing you to go on ahead, alone. Daralu lets go of his cloak that he was wringing nervously. Being this deep in the forest is not something he does back at home. <clears throat> your home is lovely. It's so quaint. Yeah, she's a real good boy. He scratches the ground and pats it. <laughs> Darlu braces himself like there's going to be an earthquake. <laughs> You're uncertain if Polyphemus is aware of your kinetic <laughs> manipulation, but you'd like to think he likes it. This is the cave of Oaksong. They will have answers to questions you ask and some you do not. We're going to get a pack of jesters. I'm running low. Your Nodite tongue is of unknown origin to me. Yeah, do you speak common or goblin? I'm, I'm having some trouble. It sounds like he wants a cigarette. Exactly. See, at least there's one member of this crew who's got a head on his shoulders. Only barely. Foe mentioned it. But moments ago. There are times of the year our people harvest dry leaves for smoking of many origins. This is not that season, but some may have reserves from past harvests. That's fine. I'll take a blend. Whatever you can scrape off the bottom of the barrel. Now that... That's a team name. <laughs> <laughs> Gigil is joining this conversation with about half of his attention span. He is painting the interior of this cave, writing down notes every once in a while. Tell me, is Polyphemus one of a kind? Are there many more like it? All woven are one of a kind. But there are many of this size and nature carrying civilians across the forest to plant their seeds and lay down for the seasons. Foe walks up to the nearest druid, uh, feels the cloth on his clothes and says, Nice duds. Then there's the answers. Here we go. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, esteemed elders, uh, stone and moss and branch and little grass there. Um, <clears throat> it was a uh, it was a real honor being around you, and and I shall remember our our conversations for all time. It's pretty dark, Danny. <sighs> Let's go make sure he doesn't try to smoke whatever's in there. Hey, if there's one thing I know, don't trust anyone. Lita <laughs> is arming her weapons. <laughs> you will return to us when the breath has run out. The bre the breath? Oh, it's something ominous. <laughs> You just keep going. <laughs> the inside of the cave is vast and too dark to see the ceiling. The air pouring in and out is like a giant set of long breaths being taken by the creature. The wind barely warm, the smell of uncovered earth, snapped wood, and the promise of rain. A dim source of light casts a hint of reflection against the stone walls showing every surface covered in hand-drawn sigils, iconography, and simple scenes of nature. The source of the light resembles a small campfire, but covered in a dome of glass. The flame seems to flare up with each breath in and out the cave issues. And there is a figure, not quite sitting by the light, but propped up against a tiny stone bench. You assume that it's human, but the limbs seem long since withered, save for one arm that seems to flail at best, whose long finger traces shapes in the air between the flares of light and the breaths eternal. 
The mask he wears seems odd at first. The hollow long stump pointed upward, resting on his shoulders, with two red runes carved where eyes could be, and a knotted opening in the log where a mouth might rest. But there is no face behind the opening. It is hollow. This is his head, and a low bass tone, like a voice singing through a distant tube, joins the breathing of the cave as it carries through the hollow wood and shakes the dust from the walls. You have been sent to die. You have been sent to seize. I like the sound of that. Northward to the hills. Northward past the trees. Ah, some direction. As it takes a breath, Foe takes a huge hit of his smoke and then blows it right in. (laughs) Here you go, Tragic. Have an egg. You've earned it. A corpse of what once was. A thorn in nature's eye. A place that has been cursed by the fire from the sky. That night the village slept. But I was there to see a beast amongst the stars, a shade above the trees. It lit up the night sky, a moment then was gone. It shot down like an arrow, it tumbled like a stone. Just like a dying bird who falls to earth in woe. One last chance at flying, but downward it did go. A burning piece of ember in glowing pink and white. Its crash was felt like thunder and scared away the night. The outsiders, they named it, for names they do adore. They say it is an engine, they say it is a core. I care not what they call it, but wish to have it gone. It poisons those around it, disrupts our dreamless song. It wishes not to be here, for all that's near it dies. It longs again for travel, to sail across the skies. There's creatures in the forest, as old as leaf and bone, left by the four sowers, to guard our land and home. They are called the Woven, free of fear and sin. Flawless old creations, silhouettes of nature's kin. The north is where we'll take you, to the edge of a western weald. You'll walk along the river, and rest along the field. In three days' time you'll find it, you'll see the glow at night. 
You'll take it from this forest and make the balance right. Corruption of the woven, the thought makes nature cry. Please rid us of this poison, the fire from the sky. And then the cave is silent. The breathing stops, and the echoes from within the wooden chamber dissipate. Well, aren't you a gentle breeze? Are, are we supposed to tip him? Because, um, I'm not. I don't think you could. Be heavy for you. <laughs> I got that one. It will take us three days to get there. Are there more songs? <laughs> oh, I got you there. Look, buddy, I, I don't have a coin to spare, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell people about you. Thank you, ancient creature. Your omens may have been twin-sided there, but we appreciate the gift you've given us. Um, just to slake me curiosity, there isn't a backup engine, you know, one with a little less uh, death and gloom around it. As the breath subsides, the fire snuffs out and the cave is plunged into impossible darkness. Right. I had a feeling that was a conversation over. <clears throat> I'd like to leave. You stumble over foe as you realize he's on the ground. He whispers a prayer you can't quite hear and kisses the floor. All right, let's see about some bugs. I want to get some food in me soon. Hey, Iris. Illumination mode. A light blossoms from the front of the Madron, illuminating the way. The four guardians standing outside remain vigilantly in position as you emerge from the cave, though they seem to be looking over their shoulders as you come, as though they too heard the song. Bakima speaks up. The breath is gone. The song has been shared. You are welcome to find a place to rest for the night. I understand you will be traveling with us to the edge of the Western Weald. We have no taverns or dining halls like the cities you may come from, but we share our food, and wherever you can lay your head upon the ground, you may rest. We will remain watching and speaking to our people until your departure, so they know of the Oak Singer's plan, and we may be on our way to find new domains to sow our seeds and harvest for the distant cold. Hey, uh, I, I've got a question. Uh, so, uh, seems like we're going to be riding, uh, this Polyphemus guy for a while. Where's the bathroom? It is here as it is in the forest. Oh, God. <laughs> Where's the best place to go if you're a, a little gob shy, you know? There are many caves throughout Polyphemus. Some reside families, some hold <laughs> privacy. Oh, gross. <laughs> Don't poop on the family. You never used an old pissing tree before. Where I come from, there there are no trees. I'll show you the way. I No, thank you. <laughs> there is food of many flavors, mostly vegetables, but they are delicious and they are shared willingly. It doesn't seem like they have much in the way of alcohol, but you do find a fermented ginger drink that is mixed with potato milk. And it has a strange flavor, but it definitely carries some of the property of alcohol. Uh, there are very large wild birds that come and land on Polyphemus as you travel, pecking at things, cleaning bugs from the grass, and flapping away when a loud noise is made. They almost seem like 
chickens that people are tending to, but with more grace and giant hawk-like features. And their talons are incredible and large. If there's any meat served here, it is likely of their bodies. The lumbering behemoth, Polyphemus treads with long, slow steps as the trees step aside in reverence, its long neck rising and lowering above the tree line more and more as the wheel grows shorter with each step northward. You're not sure when it happened, but at some point, since you climbed onto this living, traveling city, you no longer feel the movement. Your feet are firmly beneath you, and while the scenery changes, your stomach is full and warm. As you rest on the soft earth, you feel oddly at home. But if you knew the truth of things, that feeling would be a distant memory. The Saga of Darlunaran and Avahan. Verse 1. The boy leaves home, but not the other way round. In the undoubtedly heroic history of my people, there have been a few raiding bands quite as unhorned as mine. Rocky starts being what they are. We have a doman, packed full of Grand's keepsakes, a lich-love dreamer that falls apart more and more each time you look at him, and an actual talking heap of garbage. I can gripe as much as I like, but as the old saying goes, mighty is the rise that starts lower than the bottom, and I aim to prove that bloody right. Being bad flatha is being bad flatha, and I ain't going to turn my nose up at the chance that I get, even if I'll miss Ma and the Wains with all my heart. This league will be good for my people, me, and all those that'll come to look up to me. Inniscard has been stuck firmly in its ways for so long, we'll end up driving ourselves to ruin before we learn something new. No matter what some certain fanes may think, they'll see. This tale, it'll curl their horns so hard they'll turn the wrong way around and smack them in the fangs for good measure. And if words don't, my fucking raiders will. True, my ship's about as scullet as they come, but the slip will be a right damn menace before you know it. And all will shiver in its name. Damn, I hope it grows a good name. My ship and my crew will be the ones to find Taltiu and bring her back, horn or hide. My ship and my crew will be the ones to find the heart of the Stone Father and bring it back to Ahan. My ship and my crew will lay victory at the feet of the Elder over and over until the throne is cleared from me. My ship, my crew, my saga. But first, we're off to find some nidrosilian, nidrosilite, nidrosili engine so we can get moving in the first place. I've not seen any of the tree people before or what they can make bloom. But with my skill at the helm, I'm sure it'll be almost as good as a proper long-tailed raccoon. Almost. I, uh got the start of a poem going. Strong is the call to go far from my home, but stronger still are the stones I know. Strong is the voice of the kinfolk in arms, but stronger is the voice of the slain in my heart. Strong is the song of my task and charge, stronger still is what I'm pointed toward. Daralunaran and Avahan. 
What day is it? Episode one. Uh, hey, here we yeah. are. Woo. We three. We uh, we season threed a little bit, just Ooh. a bit. Shattered we left, world. We left a trace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to say, pissing on the back of a living thing. <laughs> Man, now that I've done it, nothing's better. Cross it right <laughs> off the bucket list. And for free. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to keep this in the season two format? Do we want to do Favy Momos? Or we just want to like... I don't uh, know. This is our opportunity to change things up. Is there anything that y'all have felt like, uh, I didn't love this thing. I didn't love how we... I didn't love how we did this part of the outro. I feel like we should each deliver a haiku. About mm. what we just experienced. Mm. <laughs> a baby cuckoo. A baby cuckoo. <laughs> so this is actually going to be a good opportunity to let people know that uh, one thing we're going to be trying out, no guarantee that we're going to stick to it, but one thing we'd like to try out is that the end roll meta for all episodes will be somebody's personal diary entry, mm-hmm. uh, ideally recorded, you know, at the next recording or whenever we have an opportunity. It doesn't have to be perfect audio. But I like the idea that we kind of have these little diary diary entries. You might have just heard it, in fact, between uh, this and the last thing. Hey, look at that. So if you ever have any something written and printed and you want to bring it to the outro, we can just have you read it right in the mic, too. For this first episode, I think it makes sense to have uh, Darlu do a little bit of a, a personal entry on it. I can do that. I can keep it nice and tight and short, too. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, we usually shoot for about one one page of broken dialogue or yeah. about a half a page of, of paragraph, and that would work just great. Sick. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we could talk Favy Momos. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I really liked picking a favorite moment. And I really like yeah, fucking it's absolute, good. absolutely sniped by Angelo every time. We'll go around <laughs> the table starting with me since I'm to the left yeah, of the I don't have to do uh, it this time. <laughs> I mean, the obvious, the obvious choice is the song. I f- and and so the good. idea of just this song chamber that you go to get information is so fucking rad. Like everything about the scene setting and the tone was just... Mm-hmm. That was a thing I rewrote at 3 a.m. I was <laughs> like reading yeah. like how he talks to you, and I'm like, I not I want to try working on his voice, and I'm like, it'll sound like it's breathing in and out. And I'm like, this could this should be a fucking song. <laughs> yeah, and I totally rewrote it. I love it. I, I would it. fuck to that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to lose it to that. <laughs> I'm gonna give Favy Momo to the energy that Dana was bringing in with the interview questions. Very true. Like, Very true. Thank you so much. That's she- a that's a trash boundary that you set up. <laughs> When I'm allowed, to, when I'm allowed to write a little bit, you put up little garbage walls. Yeah. <laughs> Coming in with that hot piss, <laughs> great. Like, yeah, a whole palisade of of uh, of character lore right there. There you go. I I don't know if this is a fucking low hanging fruit or not. I don't know if this is the cheap one about taking it. I really loved just like getting to know everyone's characters. I really mm-hmm. love the intros for everybody. I really love like Ugh, the, the pick a better one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, 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 no. Keep going. All right. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, no, I really love just like the, the fact that we all get to, we all get to know a little bit behind these characters. We all get to uh, come together for the first time on a like, Cool new clean slate. This is this is this is my first experience having everybody come in at the same time. We've yeah. came together before, Max, mm. <laughs> and we were fucking sprinting the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had really I had a lot of fun with the interview concept, and I, I I hope that the imagery and the timing is conveyed in the edit. I think that's so. that's going to be tricky, but I think it. 
Because there's a lot of cold opens and there's a lot of cuts, and I, so it could be a little weird. I continue to have faith in Sam. Yeah, I might, I might have like a musical sting or something between the the things. Yeah, because yeah, usually that kind of scene would be aided by you know visual. Yeah, thing. yeah. Well, we'll figure it out. Ah, uh, jeez, is, is this what I've been doing to people? <laughs> this feels terrible. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm joking, and um. I love all the characters. Like, I'd heard a lot of Kith before. I've heard a little bit of Daralu. I had not heard Gigil. I don't think any of us had. Yeah, yeah. He, came so, in, he came in cold. And it love was, it Gigil. Was Complete surprise. Gigil. So I have to go with Gigil's voice. Like, I didn't know what you were going to do this season, and I love it. Like, mm. that's... I've never heard you do a voice like that before, Angelo, and I adore it. I'm glad you pitched down for this one. It, feel, it sounds really good. Pitch down. Uh, until incidental up. accidents. Hey. <laughs> I'm cool oh, yeah. if you like accidental. avoid the uh, his name just popped out of my brain. George Decay. George Decay thing. Mm. But if he re- always remains in sight of it, I I would be delighted. Like it, like I'm trying not to, but boy, the I imprint is there. The inspiration is great. The I approve of you avoiding it, but never tread too far. Mm. Yeah, yeah. A taste of decay should always be present. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been our very first sit down to record season three. I think we're really going to be feeling it out for a while. We're going to be kind of testing our characters' energies, and uh, me and Zach will be passing off the story back and forth. I'm sorry, I didn't. Here, Law's favorite Momo. Oh, does the DM have to do that? Too? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite moment <laughs> hmm, was, gosh, I I like having you all respond to things that I write, but I'm also like, so for the past year and a half, I've been doing it from the player's perspective. Um, so it's a little weird to think of it as the DM part, right? I really like running the interview. That first half of the episode was very fast and loose as far as what we had prepared, and then we did a lot of roundtable creative talking. We, me and Zach got to improvise some characters on the fly, and I love that shit. That was my favorite. For sure. Oh, yeah, like uh, improvising our flashbacks. Incredible. Really fun. Very good. So, yeah, um, we hope that things keep moving forward in a way that the story makes sense, considering we're going to have two DMs. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. But as always, we want our cuties to give us as much early feedback as possible. This is an ever-changing creature. And I'm excited to be back in the DM seat a little bit. I was stressed out. I'm doing a lot more DMing professionally, but... uh, Maybe that means my blade will be sharpened. Who knows? Or I'll just eventually crash and burn in a horrible fight. <laughs> you know, we usually do it kind of at the end of the chapter, but because this is the first episode, should we go around and introduce ourselves and our characters? We absolutely should. So I am Zachary Golden. I play Faux Kithkin, the Sin Eater of the Dream, and I am also the technical director for Slapdash Studios. I'm Angelo Kaluag. I play Gigil, a gelatinous dude. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, I'm a uh, warlock. Uh, sorry, I'm a sorcerer with a little bit of a hexblade dip. I play an astral monk. Hell yeah. My name is Max Hobbs. I play Daralu Naranan. Not to be particular about pronunciation, but it's not Daralu, no, nor oh, Daralu. Dar- oh, well, people Dar-a-loo. just pronounce shit however Dar-a-loo. the fuck they feel like. I though. know, and I'm saying it with an accent the whole fucking time, so it's even harder and even more obnoxious. <laughs> I'm playing Daralu Naranen Avahan, tiefling bard currently. We'll see where that goes. Uh, you can find me at Dungeon Master Max pretty much everywhere online to fucking give me a big fat smooch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. I am Dana Ebert. I play Lita Bag, a goblin artificer from the Midden, and we have not even begun to scratch the surface of the Midden yet. God, I'm so uh, excited. I have so much for that, and I'm excited for this entire season. I'm online. You can find me 
But I'd really rather you look up my brewery, TPK Brewing, tpkbrewing.com, learn more. It's a it's a place now. It's a real place. It does exist. It is oh, extant. Yeah. And I have no class. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my name is Law. I am the dungeon man. For this. <laughs> we'll figure it out. It doesn't matter. I'm running the first half of this adventure, or at least each chapter, if that makes sense. It's back and forth. I don't have a character yet in this world, um, so I'm just the DM. I am the creative director of Slapdash and the game manager of TPK. <gasps> so if you go there to look for Dana, you will probably also find me. And if you check out LUQ stuff online, we would appreciate it. Dungeon daddy, dungeon mommy, dungeon mm. spouse. Mm. Uh, <laughs> All I could think earlier was... Dungeness Paternus. <laughs> like, I'm a dungeon man, except for one day a year when I'm a decadent little birthday boy. <laughs> I do like that. But until my birthday, I wish you luck. 